Hello, and thank you for joining us for another TRADOC Leader Professional Development Discussion. 
I'm Sarah Houck, Command Information Chief for the TRADOC Communication Directorate, and I'll be moderating today's event. Today we're wrapping up an unofficial engaged leadership series with a discussion on the power of inclusion. We've got some incredible leaders joining us today to facilitate this topic. First is Lieutenant General Maria Gervais, the Deputy Commanding General of TRADOC. Lieutenant General Gervais has been the DCG of TRADOC since May of last year and is no stranger to our LPD series, having been on both sides of the discussion. That's just a true testament to the confidence we have in her knowledge and leadership excellence. Welcome, ma'am. It's always a pleasure to have you joining us for these. Uh, hey, great. Once again, um, I'm very honored to host another great TRADOC LPD and be able to discuss the power of inclusion you know, with uh, a subject matter expert, Dr. Stewart. And if you really think about it, I mean, the Army is about people. And people is our most precious resource. And when you take a look at that, you know, it's diversity, where we want to make sure that we have the right mix um, of diversity, that we represent America. Number two, we want to make sure that we have, e you know, equality you know, the equality for everybody to have the same opportunities to succeed. And then more importantly, we want the power of inclusion. Everybody to be part of a valued team and be a contributing member of that team. And that really comes through inclusion. And if we do this, it just makes us stronger as an Army. And so with that, you know, I'm pretty excited to have Dr. Stewart, who's going to be here, who's a leading expert in this area, and the discussion's going to be riveting. So I look forward to the discussion and the questions. And thanks again for having me back. Absolutely. Thanks, ma'am, for being a part of this discussion. Um, as General Gervais said, we're going to talk about the importance of building a truly inclusive professional environment. Today's guest, Dr. Jay Stewart, Bruce Stewart, is the CEO of Small World Solutions, a firm focused on helping organizations build diverse and inclusive teams. Prior to starting his own firm, Dr. Stewart was the Deputy Director of Training, Compliance, and Strategic Initiatives in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion for the Office of Personnel Management and was primarily responsible for the coordinated implementation of President Obama's Executive Order on Diversity and Inclusion. He also served as the Director of Cultural Diversity Transformation for the Air National Guard. And maybe his most notable piece of his resume is his creation of the new Inclusion Quotient, which is a standard benchmarking tool that is used across the federal government to assess inclusion. Dr. Stewart is also an author and holds a PhD from Northeastern University in Law and Policy. He's also an adjunct professor at American University. Dr. Stewart, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to be part of this uh, uh, honorable panel. And uh, I want to give a shout out to General Gervais. Thank you very much uh, for reaching out. And uh, I couldn't uh, agree more with uh, the statements you just made. The thing that I hope to argue uh, for today or this morning is that uh, inclusion can be used as an effective strategy to be able to achieve those things that you just described, creating and, and, and uh, 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 building a diverse uh, 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 army, uh, making sure that you have equitable policies and processes in place and uh, making sure that everybody has that sense of belonging. So so thank you all for, for inviting me here and I look forward to a, a robust uh, uh, discussion. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Dr. Sir, for joining us again. And just a reminder before we get started, we want you to be part of this discussion. So leave your questions in the comments section of the Facebook Live feed or the Watch Page feed, and we'll try to get them answered during the event. If we can't, keep an eye on our social media pages. We'll work to get answers to your questions and have them posted in the near future. And with that, we're going to get started. Uh, Dr. Stewart, we're going to start with you. So what characteristics must be in place for an organization to be dubbed inclusive? So that's a, that's a great question. And that's one of the things, sir, that I'm most proud of uh, during my time uh, working uh, with the Office of Personnel Management and the team that we had of experts and data scientists from around the government that actually uh, uh, was able to, through uh, research, able to identify and put into a framework the characteristics that are necessary for an organization or a team to be inclusive. And primarily what we identified is that there's, there's uh, five what we call inclusive habits. 
And if, if, if the people within that team and, and the leadership model these inclusive habits, that's what kind of creates in, inclusivity within the organization. And just real quickly, and we'll talk more about these, but those five inclusive habits are uh, being fair, being open, being cooperative, being supportive, and being, and being empowering. And when, when, when we all modeled, model those habits and, and they become part of our daily routine, what emerges out of that is an inclusive environment. Absolutely. We appreciate you laying that out for us. So, and these kind of seem like non-negotiables and these are, they seem like the foundation for building a culture. And as we all know, the army has been really focusing on shifting our culture to be more people centric. So what are some things that your team and throughout your research and your experience with building diverse and inclusive teams, what are some things that you can build into training to ensure that people within a team are adopting these five habits because people are people they have we all have our habits and how we interact with individuals based on where we're from which would be that diverse that diversity piece so how do we ensure that our team is moving forward in the correct direction because everyone's definitions of fair and open and cooperative and supporting could be different so how do we get everyone moving down the same track to build this this culture of inclusivity yeah i think that's a great question sarah and we spent a lot of time um kind of thinking about that and so when i talk about those five inclusive habits they they are founded upon what we call, call 20 inclusive behaviors so like there's five behaviors that make up that fairness habit and so based on our research if you model these five behaviors you know people will perceive you to be fair and uh, so, for instance, uh, as a leader, one of those uh, behaviors is, you know, taking care of or identifying poor performers, right? And, 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 and uh, General Gervais can probably uh, testify to this, is that, you know, all it takes is kind of one bad apple to, to really dismantle, you know, the teamwork and, and the cohesion of a team. And so... If a leader doesn't take care of a person who seems to be going in the opposite direction and instead they play for themselves instead of playing for the team, then others see that as a form of ineffective leadership. And you can lose all team cohesion um, by by just overlooking that or not taking care of that. So so these five inclusive habits all have actions that are associated with it that can be taught, trained and repeated. Uh, by organizational members. Yeah, you know, um, sir, um, Dr. Stewart brings up a, what a, absolutely a phenomenal point um, here because, you know, as you take a look at it, I mean, the building block of the Army is really down at the lowest level. And it is our down at our squads with our leaders, and we start to build that at echelon every step of the way. And so getting the understanding of, you know, these five uh, pieces of getting to inclusion and getting it understood and then understanding how you have to train each one of those and develop our leaders is so important because, you know, that accountability piece is something that will erode trust immediately in terms of, you know, whether somebody is being held to the standard or not. And then if they're not being held to the standard, then the question becomes, what does become the standard? And so, you know, this piece about really being able to model this behavior and then implement it down at the lowest levels is so important. Because from a leader standpoint, you know, we, we have got to what the top says to what the bottom is actually doing is so, so important. And so, you know, I think um, as we talk about this, understanding the different parts of it, how it will impact the cohesion, the squad, the trust, um, you know, in a squad, in an organization is so, so important um, to getting after this because harmful behaviors will erode the trust quicker than anything else. But understanding the standard, holding others accountable, and then developing you know, those in and around you will build a very solid foundation built on trust, a creating that sense of belonging, and then having everybody 
understand that they're part of a valued team and we need to understand their perspective. They need to be a contributing member and they have the opportunity. Um, inclusion is, and Dr. Stewart, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Inclusion is, is really the way that we have to get after a lot of things to increase the trust, the cohesion down at the squad level. You know, diversity is, is very important. That's the demographics and you wanna look, um, you know, and represent America and be representative of it. You know, you wanna make sure that everybody has that opportunity, but inclusion is really the thing that will make you the strongest in the end. Um, and so I appreciate you bringing up that point, especially on accountability, because sometimes accountability is one thing that when you do that, others now, you know, they either lose trust in, in the process or they lose trust in you as a leader. Absolutely, and I know trust is a big thing that we have right now, so how do we ensure that our leaders are not only working with these five habits and these five behaviors that we want them to model, but how do we ensure that they're building the trust that's going to readily include people or want people to be included with their team? Um, because not everyone wants to be as actively involved in a team. So how, do you, how does a leader adjust to each of their individuals to be sure that they are being inclusive and are bringing those individuals into the team in a way that is going to use their knowledge and skills and abilities in an in appropriate manner that makes them feel included? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's a, that's a good question, Sarah. So, so let me just hone in real quickly on the definition of inclusion. And, and so when we're working this, you know, we talk about the definition is, well, the definition that we came up with is based on something called uh, Brewer's Optimal Distinctiveness Theory. And Marilyn Brewer in 1999 was a professor, came up with a theory that human beings have two core needs. They have the need to feel valued as individuals, but they also have a need to have a sense of belonging, to feel welcome to the team. And so a leader, primary responsibility to create an inclusive environment. Number one, the foundation is to make sure that all their soldiers feel like they're being respected and valued as individuals, but also feeling like they're welcome and they're part of a team. There's a sense of belonging. And, and, and the primary responsibility of the leader is to be able to juggle those two things at the same time. Sometimes you got to give a little more weight to the individual. Sometimes you got to give a little more weight to the team carrying out the mission. And how a leader is able to navigate that is all about what we call inclusive leadership. And there's an intelligence that goes with this that we've been able to find. Like everybody knows about emotional intelligence. It's understanding your emotions and being able to uh, understand and identify the emotions of others. In inclusive intelligence is not how smart you are as an individual, but it's about how smart you make your team. So what is it? that I add to my team. In the in sports world, they call this a plus or plus minus metric. Like they can, you know, quantify, you know, the 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 impact that a player has out on the court when she's around her teammates. And so it's either she adds value or she takes away value. If she adds value, that's a plus. If she takes away value, that's a minus. We, we brought that same thinking in to this notion and concept of inclusive intelligence. So as a leader, you have to look within yourself and say, do my soldiers uh, uh, shed a tear of joy when I leave and get reassigned? Or is it a tear of that, you know, they're actually going to, you know, miss me, right? So, so that's kind of that's what we're talking about here and the kind of the definition of inclusion. And from there, everything else, you know, those five inclusive habits build into that definition you know, the 20 behaviors built into the five inclusive habits will, which go into that definition of inclusion. Yeah, we appreciate that, um, Dr. Stewart, and kind of giving an, a, a foundation of how we actually get there and building value and belonging within a team. Um, I think it's interesting that you actually mentioned that individuals want to belong to something larger than themselves and they want to feel valued. We've learned through this recruiting situation with the Army right now where everyone's a recruiter um, and with the demographic we're trying to recruit right now who is of age to serve those are some of their key attributes they want to feel like they belong to something larger than them and they want to know that they're bringing value to a team 
So how can, General Jay, maybe this is a question maybe for you, how does the Army demonstrate that we are an inclusive, um, an inclusive organization that does create belonging for somebody and does generate value? Like right now, how are we getting after that right now? Yeah, hey, so I think that's a great question, and I thought um, everything that Dr. Stewart just kind of laid out um, was really, um, you know, the definition and the understanding of the definition is really important. But one of the things I really love about the Army, and, uh, you know, I've been in a long time, and I came in at a point where, you know, we, were, we had been integrating women into certain positions, but not all. And, you know, and I'll share this story with you. You know, we're, we're at a camp. And, you know, we're getting ready to go on a, on a field training exercise. And I'll never forget what the, the leader said. The leader said, well, if you women want to be part of this army, then you're going to have to carry the M60, right? And I thought, well, I mean, it doesn't sound like they want us here. I said, but at the same time, you know, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Everybody does. And the great thing that we get to do in the Army is we get to practice leadership every single day. We get to understand what strengths and what weaknesses that each of our, our folks have. And what our job is to create that inclusive environment is how do we leverage all of the diversity, all of the great strengths that our individuals have, and then you know understanding that they have weaknesses, and then how do we make everybody better around us? as we're going forward with it. So the long story short, and okay, my statue was smaller. I could carry that M60, okay, but it would weigh me down. Okay, but you know what? I could carry that ammo for that M60 and be part of that team, right? And it's through performance that everybody, you create that environment. So everybody, we can leverage the strengths and then everybody can contribute to that, that team. And so, you know, that's what I absolutely love about the Army, because we have to, each and every day, have every member contributing as part of that team. And so, you know, that, you know I think uh, we have a lot of opportunity here um, to improve. And, you know, it goes back to that self-awareness, um, you know, because that's what we're trying to juggle, right? We're trying to juggle that value we're also trying to juggle, you know, the piece on that sense of belonging. And then we have to be able to develop our, our, our soldiers, our officers, our leaders. And we drive a lot of that change. We will drive a lot of that change through our uh, professional military education piece of it, where we come in and we, we talk about how to create a positive environment. How do you think about biases in terms of, because we all have them. We all have them and we have to be aware of it. And then how do you take it and also, how do you develop yourself as a leader so that you have that self-awareness so that as you're interacting? Because the challenge we have in the Army is we're constantly rotating leaders. Leaders are coming in, leaders are going out. And so what we're trying to do is how do you create the level of understanding through our, both our leaders down at the lowest levels to the, to the highest levels that have that understanding to create that positive environment so that everybody can thrive and be a valued member of a team and that sense of belonging. And I think we do that in the Army really, really well. And it starts from the very first day of when you come into a basic, you know, basic combat training, right? You're given a task, you're part of a team, that sense of accomplishment that comes with, I've completed this as a team, um, and it just starts to build throughout your Army career. Absolutely. I think there's some things that through the Army people strategy, the Army is really kind of wrapping their arms around to include this, no pun intended, inclusion into their training and how we develop our leaders. Um, and you did mention biases. While, and I know uh, Dr. Stewart has some great insight on actual biases of how we can navigate those but still create an inclusive environment. So my question to you, Dr. Stewart, is, Everyone comes in with their own biases based on how they were brought up, where they grew up, um, just their belief systems. And we call that that diversity is what makes society and the Army a great place. It brings all these people together, different ways of thinking. So how do we not combat biases, but how do we 
recognize those biases but still move forward towards an inclusive, a singular inclusive goal. Yeah, absolutely. And and you made a great point that uh, all of us, you know, have biases. Whatever identity group you believe you belong to, you know, uh, all of us have biases. The, you know, the, the fact of the matter is our brains are constructed that way. And if we didn't have biases, we couldn't get throughout the day. As a matter of fact, our brain takes in at any moment uh, over 11 million bits of information but only can consciously process 40 bits of that information. The rest goes into our unconscious bias. That's why the average height of American male in our society is 5'10", but the average height of a Fortune 100 C is 6'3". So, you know, there's no, like, cabal of tall, tall people saying, hey, we're not going to let short, short folks be CEOs. You know, this is the impact of our unconscious biases and those that might be listening that have heard me talk about this in training or other talks, then you probably remember that, uh, as I said, you know, our presidents are over average height and, and uh, uh, our generals and admirals in the military on average are over average height. And so that's the, that's the challenge that we face. And, and, and sir, that's why we really focused on habits and helping people in, instill, you know, create routines because once you do that, there's there's no way that we as individuals can can minimize all the implicit biases that we're exposed to. I mean, it's it's just impossible, right? So so the idea is is that you have a level of awareness, and that level of awareness helps you create these habits that you make sure that you do on a routine basis. So part of my awareness is. I have to be fair. I, I can't play favorites as a leader. Even if I enjoy other folks' friendship because, you know, we grew up in the same place or our personalities are similar, I have to make sure that I'm consciously thinking of how this is perceived by the rest of my soldiers. I have to be open-minded. I can't be tied into the status quo bias just because it's been successful in the past doesn't mean that it's going to be successful in the future. I have to make sure that I'm cooperative. I'm helpful to my soldiers, but also I communicate in a positive way. You know, there's nothing worse than being around somebody who's always negative. I know, you know, uh, for some of us, there's some nostalgia. Oh, my, you know, my chief, you know, used to go up and... We appreciate you uh, laying that out for us, Dr. Stewart. Um, so, ma'am, I want to turn to you for just a second. So, um, we're getting some questions about how inclusion could be helpful getting after those harmful behaviors that the Army's really focused on right now. So, how do you think inclusion could help getting get after those? Yeah. So, you know, when you're part of a team, and, you know, if you think about it, you know, and let's start, just start down at the, the, the lowest level. You know, you, you have a squad mm -hmm. and you have a squad leader and then from the squad leader, you know, you're going to move to a platoon leader and a company commander. <clears throat> but, you know, understanding, you know, who's in that squad, understanding everything about them and mm -hmm. kind of taking it from a perspective, this is my squad. Right. This is my team. And it's like ownership, right? It's, we are, we are a close-knit team, we understand each other, we know the challenges that we have, and then we're also communicating. We are communicating, you know, so that we can understand what is troubling each other and what needs to be done and how can we take care of each other. Because, you know, you've heard that old phrase, right? They will only care when they know you care. And so as leaders, you know, setting that right environment and understanding our people and really setting the right example, and then when there are challenges, helping them overcome it will be very important. Because, you know, what you find is that within, for example, you know, the This Is My Squad initiative, 
it's all about that team, understanding each other, the challenges, and then when somebody's having a challenge, it's really everybody coming together to help them through that. And so when you have inclusion and somebody has, they feel like they're part of that team, they feel like others are going to take care of them, and they have that sense of belonging, then what we can do is we can combat those harmful behaviors, right? Because we don't want anything that's going to erode that close-knit um, team that we have. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, really that environment. The environment that knowing, understanding what our values are, what we stand for as an Army, and then what's unacceptable. Because when you have that and you understand that, we won't tolerate the harmful behaviors. Because, you know, we know that those are inconsistent with Army values, and we know that they will erode the very thing that is so important to us, which is trust at every level. And so, you know, I think inclusion creates that sense of belonging. It makes you feel like you're a valued member of that team. And then you have everybody else watching out for you. And then we, when one hurts, we all hurt, right? And we're struggling with this. We are struggling with this, and, and you've heard me say this before. Our audio doesn't match our video. It's people first, right? And it's, it's people first, um, but what is happening is we, what we're saying at the le top level sometimes is not being implemented down at the lowest levels and being taken care of. And you heard Dr. Stewart talk about that accountability piece, right? You know, and, and really, you know, inclusion is, is it's a two-way street, right? You come into a team, and you want to be on that team. Mm -hmm. You want to be a contributing member. You want to have that sense of belonging. But if you're, same standpoint, if you're not pulling your weight, if you're not wanting to be part of that team, then others are going to see it. So how do you as a leader handle that? And then how do you address any shortcomings? And how do you take the next step, which is taking care of your people? Um, because I will say, you know, sometimes you know, my first 10 years in the Army, we, I always heard, mission first, mission first. Okay, in 10 years I realized, take care of your people and people first, and the mission will take care of itself. Um, so I think it's really important, um, this piece about creating that right environment. Um, and we have a lot of great initiatives that we're getting after to really make that, that team at every level um, so much more powerful. Absolutely. And you mentioned those initiatives. and I know we've kind of talked about it before, and it seems like you mentioned kind of like self-awareness and being sure that our, our leaders are um, being accepted and trusted and those kinds of things, and then inclusion will kind of naturally fall into that. And my brain goes to Project Athena, kind of how we're building those leaders. So do you think that um, what other pieces aside from Project Athena do you think are really starting to get after that inclusion and diversity pieces that the Army's really, really focused on right now. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of great things um, as we take a look at it. And you bring up Project Athena. I mean, the first thing you have to do is you have to be self-aware in yourself first. So you have a good understanding of, you know, who you are and how you interact. And Project Athena is really a great opportunity because it provides you that feedback. And, and really, it provides you that feedback every step of the way. So when you come in whether you're going to be a new soldier or you're going to be a new officer. It is, what are the things about me and, you know, that I have some shortcomings and how do I develop that? And it, it's this continuous feedback loop that is going to um, provide you that information. And then it provides you coaches and mentors, right? Because the thing we have to keep in mind, I mean, look, we bring in 150,000 soldiers into this Army every single year. We transition our leaders and um, throughout the process. <clears throat> so how do we create, you know, what right looks like? And then how do we assess what right looks like? And then how do we help you improve along the way? So if you think about basic combat training, basic combat training, you come in and you learn, you know, how to be a soldier. But more importantly, you learn what the Army values are, right. what they are. But, you know, look, nine weeks. Nine weeks after 18, maybe longer years of doing something, you're, you're going to have to make sure that you have the opportunity to say, hey, these are the Army values. Um, you need to probably change or improve in some areas. So Project Athena is one of them. And, you know, I think it's really um, 
instrumental because feedback to yourself, self-aware coaching and mentoring to make you into a better person, a better leader, better officer, better soldier, um, NCO along the way. But, you know, we're also changing our selection of our, our commanders, right, through the uh, command assessment program where we come in and versus being like a, where it used to be just a board and we're looking at files and ratings and demonstrated performance and then an assessment on potential. I mean, this assessment is going through now. It's assessing the physical piece. It's also doing a psychological piece. It's doing an interview and it's allowing feedback to come back from a lot of the subordinates. So as you're being selected as a commander, if you have some shortcomings, it's going to kind of come out. And the goodness in this is that if you're not deemed not ready, for, you're kind of going to get some feedback and then you're going to be able to have access to additional coaches to help you become a better leader as you're going through it. So, you know, I think a lot of those things are, are really good. And then really getting people to understand biases, right? And for, uh, really, how, how do you understand your bias and be, be very self-aware so that when, when you catch yourself, right, um, you catch yourself so that you can now improve it. And look, culture is hard. And there are some things in our culture, and you know, it's been predominantly you know, combat arms, male dominated. So there are things in our culture that was used to be the norm, which isn't the norm now, and it was potentially leading to less inclusiveness um, across the board. And, you know, and I think we're kind of um, getting after a lot of that as we're going forward. And then, you know, we're looking at everything that will disadvantage somebody. Everything from policy um, in terms of schooling, in terms of, you know, um, pregnancy, postpartum, um, to, you know, we're going through the Army combat fitness test piece of this right now, Army body composition. So you're looking to remove all of those barriers so that you can ensure that, you know, anybody has the opportunity and we can be as inclusive as we need to be without any barrier that could potentially create a disadvantage. Absolutely, and I think that's those barriers that we're able to identify as an Army are incredibly um, intuitive to see what could prevent someone from reaching their full potential, which is um, obviously a huge hindrance to inclusive. So, Dr. Stewart, I actually have a question for you. Um, so. We've been talking about inclusive and how we can make a more inclusive environment, but how do you actually assess the inclusive, like the inclusive level of an organization? Um, it, is it a quantifiable thing that data doesn't lie? So everyone likes to have a piece of data connected to those different pieces, but things like inclusion and diversity are sometimes hard to uh, kind of pinpoint the success. So how do you assess the, in, the inclusiveness in an of an organization? Yeah, that's a good question, Sarah. And one of the challenges that we had when I came in uh, to my previous uh, job uh, as deputy director uh, at OPM is that it was very easy for us to be able to measure representation, right? So, so that's kind of what we call the Noah's Ark type of uh, measurement. You know, as long as you got two of everything, you're okay, right? But uh, we knew, we knew that that limited uh, our potential uh, strategies to create a more inclusive environment or to take you know, advantage of all the inherent diversity that people bring to the table, whether it's visible or not. And so when I talk about this new IQ or this new inclusion quotient, what we were able to do over a span of about nine to 12 months is uh, I uh, kind of led a team of data scientists and organizational psychologists and we were able to do some statistical analysis to be able to identify, in fact, 20 behaviors that had a direct correlation to creating an inclusive environment. And, and that's kind of what makes up the new IQ. So, so you know, for uh, uh, leaders uh, within uh, TRADOC, you know, you can use these 20 questions as kind of like a pulse survey. And, and, and because it's 20 questions, it only takes about five minutes to, 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 to fill it out. And so you can do that, uh, you know, every other month, you know, leaders can use that almost like a 360 to see, you know, how uh, um, the folks that they lead, how they perceive them. And so that's, uh, that's kind of how, you know, we developed uh, that measurement and that kind of how we measure inclusion. Excellent. And I'm going to actually flip this over to you as well, General Gervais, is how does the 
Army assess their inclusion? How, again, because these are kind of new initiatives that we're really digging our teeth into. So how, do we, how are we assessing our progress with these new initiatives through the Army People Strategy? Yeah, so, um, sir, you know, that's a great question. And Dr. Stewart brought out um, some excellent points in terms of, you know, how do you go back and really assess inclusion? And, you know, um, we have lots of surveys in the Army. And, Dr. Stewart, I think you'll attest, when your time in the Air Force, there were lots of surveys, weren't there, um, across the board. And so, you know, we have command climate surveys that are available to um, to our um, commanders to take take a look at and get a good pulse of what's working and what's not. We also have surveys that are, you know, from the Department of the Army level that gets assessment on, you know, like we're going through, um, you know, workplace uh, gender integration into the workplace survey right now. And so you're always assessing what is right um, working, what is not working, and why as you're going forward. And I think from an inclusion standpoint, you know, we've done some, um, you know, we have the Army People Strategy, which is really laid out how, how do we, um, what are the things that we want to focus on from a diversity, um, you know, equality, and also um, an inclusion standpoint. And then taking those, um, and here in TRADOC, We've taken the, the TRADOC campaign plan, which now has taken the Army People strategy, and we've operationalized that across TRADOC. So because what we have figured out and what we know is when you really want to drive change within the Army, you know, it's here, it's through our training, it's through our doctrine, it's through our leader development, our education, because, you know, that's where you really start to drive that change as you're going forward. So as you take a look at um, the different things that we're doing, I mean, we've had, you know, Your Voice Matters. We've had all the listening sessions. We've had the uh, cohesion assessment teams that have been going out. And it's providing a really great perspective. Um, but I think what's most important in all of this is it's the feedback. It's the feedback that you were getting, you know, from the bottom up that is helping us understand what is it that we need to change? And I'll give you two examples on, you know, how it leads to change and better inclusivity as we're going forward with it. I mean, the first one is, you know, we have the Women's Initiative uh, team here um, in TRADOC, and we're also, it was being looked at up at the Department of the Army level. But it took a look at what were those things that unintentionally were creating a disadvantage for, you know, um, pregnancy, postpartum, whether that was in our professional military education, whether that was time off, whether that was when to take the PT test. And it was really, it started from the bottom up. The, it was the challenges, the struggles, the things that were kind of excluding um, an audience. And it wasn't just women. I mean, this was like single fathers. This was adoption. This was also included things like fertility. So, you know, what we had to do is really understand, you know, how do you get after those things so that everybody um, would understand it? And I think the feedback is really important. And, you know, when you're a commander and you're getting this feedback, you know, there's, it's context. It's, it's, a, it's an understanding of what has taken place, but also getting to the context and understanding the real root cause of the challenge. And what we're sometimes, a perspective that comes from um, across the field is, hey, we do all these surveys, but nothing changes. Well, I think we have to do a better job of is, hey, we did, we had this survey. Here were the comments that came back. We heard you. Here is what can change and will change. Um, and then here are the things that can't change, right? And here's why. Because we, you have to get to that shared understanding of what is taking place so that you know, everybody understands, okay, my voice was heard, but a decision had to be made in the process. And so, you know, we have uh, several initiatives, you know, as I mentioned, the, the women's initiative taking place. We're doing the Army Body Composition Study right now because the field came back and said, hey, we're concerned about this and we think that it needs to be relooked because it's based on, you know, the insurance index from, you know, long ago. Well, the world has changed. Army, you need to come back and take a look at that. So we're doing the study on this right now. Um, but to me, it, it's the feedback, and then how do you come back and address the issues and concerns that were raised? Because if not, somebody will automatically think that, 
hey, they just don't care or they didn't take my concerns seriously. Um, and, and they will not feel part of the team. Yeah, and we all have seen those surveys and we, under, and we see the results of those surveys. They're very, um, everyone's very forthcoming and transparent with the results of those, the good, bad, and the ugly of those things. So, and that actually kind of feeds right into a question that we have um, from the audience. We appreciate everyone who's sending in questions. Please continue to do that. Um, what if somebody, even with those surveys, if there, is there another outlet for somebody who feels they're not um, in an inclusive environment? Um, how do they bring that to their leader's attention? Uh, how, do, how does that come forward outside of a survey? Yeah, so Dr. Stewart, I'll take the first crack at it and then I'll pass it over to you. Um, because, I mean, this is an absolutely great question um, from the standpoint of, because we've all been there, right? And, you know, you, you even find, you know, I even find myself at, at a table where, you know, unintentionally, it may be, you know, a conversation that is going towards the combat arms and I'm non-combat arms, right? But I'm at the table and, you know, it may not be directed towards me. So I think what's important here is when you find yourself in what is not the optimal environment um, as you come in, you know, I think a couple things, um, and it's worked for me um, as I've been going through. So number one, focus on your performance and what you, what you can um, control. And through your performance and through being a valued member of that team, what you start to find is that, you know, your, the environment will start to become more inclusive. Um, and, you know, I've had to do that throughout my career. Now, there have been leaders that haven't been inclusive, um, and there's always a, a redress of that, right? Because you may have, for example, you know, a young potential uh, squad leader, you may have an NCO, you may have a company commander or a platoon leader that isn't aware of what they're doing, right? And, and I'll just give you a simple example, right? So my okay. Whenever we go somewhere, you know, when uh, they're they're going to talk to the, the general, they start talking to my husband first, right? Okay, you know, I could get really mad at that, but I also know that this is just a changing world, right? And my husband's really great because he goes, not me, her, <laughs> right? So what we do is we figure out ways to kind of come back and get them to go, hey need to be a little bit more inclusive. But at the lower levels, I think it's, it's always challenging because the lower levels are like trying to go, hey, I have a problem here. How can I bring this to the attention? And so I think, you know, you, there's always ways through open door policies. There's always avenues to come back and address if you feel like that the environment is not conducive um, to ensuring that everybody can reach their full potential. And so I think, you know, that's important for every young leader to understand. Um, and I think it's also important to understand that sometimes people are just not aware of sometimes what they're doing. And I think we need to figure out ways that we can provide that awareness and then more importantly, help them after they become aware. How do they now take the steps to be more aware and provide that inclusive environment? So I'm sure you've seen it in your time, Dr. Stewart, across you know um, the board. I'd be curious how you've seen it both from a inside and also from the um, civilian sector, what advice would you give? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I would have to say, uh, ma'am, that this is, to me, this is a real, you know, uh, Sarah had asked me what was non-negotiable in terms of leadership. And, and in my book, I actually talk about this, but this whole concept around what we call psychological safety. And, you know, when we look at the research, the, 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 the thing that creates a toxic culture is not normally necessarily the number of, of EEO complaints, right? Or complaints of discrimination. What, what has a, a, a higher correlation to a toxic culture is the fear of reprisal and retaliation for people bringing up things that they don't necessarily agree with. And whether you're talking about hiring more black coaches in the NFL or whether you're talking about other organizations that I've uh, consulted with, the central challenge and the common theme throughout is always this challenge about, you know, creating an environment where people feel psychologically safe enough to be able to disagree and not feel like they're going to be threatened 
uh, with reprisal or retaliation. And and even even within the army or the military's uh, EEO uh, process and, and system, that 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 reprisal and retaliation is something that I think kind of overshadows all sometimes all of the other good work that's uh, that's going on. So uh, a couple things that I think might be helpful here is number one, this is the thing that should be focused primarily around leadership. So this should be incorporated in in, in their training, their PME. They should they, they should uh, it should be part of their uh, performance uh, uh, feedback. Uh, the other thing I think are these listening sessions and having uh, 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 and I think a lot of units already do this, but having ways where people can be anonymous with regard to their perceptions of uh, of what's going on. But in a in a in a perfect world, you would hope that that leaders create the kind of environment. And this is how inclusion can help. That leaders create the kind of environment where they feel psychologically safe. And by the way, leaders, you all probably say the same thing to your commanding officer. So so psychological safety is not just about the soldiers at the bottom of the ladder, but this should be something that's focused and concentrated on throughout the entire organization. Everybody, now, I mean, look, of course you got chain of command and things like that. So some of you old timers out there don't get upset with me with this. I, I get it. But but I think most of us would agree that, uh, you know, some of the best ideas that we come up with are are, are from folks that, that uh, maybe doesn't have positional uh, authority or power. And when they're able to feel like they can speak their mind, it just makes the, the the team a lot better, and there's a lot of research that backs that up. Yeah, I was I, I was sitting here making some notes on my my um, my notebook here, and it's we're all about building cohesive tr teams that are physically fit um, and, and mentally tough. So, and it all goes back to building trust. That's one of the big foundational pieces that the Army's focused on right now. And based on the five habits that you kind of laid out earlier about being fair, open, cooperative, supporting, supportive, and empowering, if our leaders are embracing those five habits, our teams and our, our squad mates should feel empowered to come talk to their leadership if they feel like they're not living in an working in an inclusive environment. They should feel supported. They should, um, and they should know that their leaders are, if they're truly inclusive leaders, are gonna be open to hearing their feedback. So this is, it's really interesting to kind of meet the, put those pieces together and, and see that all of those five habits foundationally build trust, which make people feel like they're in an environment that's inclusive and diverse. So it's actually really interesting. So I think one of the questions I have, and we're, it always ties back when we start talking about things that aren't necessarily physical training related, in the Army is, how does inclusion affect our readiness? That's always the question on everybody's mind. Why do we need to worry about inclusion for readiness? Yeah, so Sarah, I mean, that, that's, that, that's a great question because, you know, everything really comes back to readiness, right? I mean, readiness isn't just about, you know, the piece of equipment. It's not just about training. You know, you got to have the person, and our most precious asset in the Army is, the, is, is the, you know, the person, you know, our civilians, our, our family members, because that's what makes us so strong. And so when you look at it, I mean, people equals readiness, all right? And all those other things that go into the equation, you know, you have people that now go on their, they have their piece of equipment, right? They train with that equipment. They train with their squad. They train with their unit. And it's through the accomplishment of those tasks um, and what they have to do for the mission, you know, that will get us to the readiness piece of that. And so sometimes I think, you know, from a readiness standpoint, you know, understanding the people. How do you make this, this person right here who has a job to do, how do you make them the most ready as possible? How do you treat them like a, you know, like a, a world-class athlete that's getting ready to go on to this field to execute this sport or this job? You know, you do that through, you know, good leadership. You do that through 
good training, where you get those repetitions that Dr. Stewart talked about, right? Habits are repetition, right? And it's through that, you know, th through those exercises, through that training, through that trust in our equipment and our trust in our team that builds that cohesion and then make sure that we are ready as possible. Now, getting back to the accountability that Dr. Stewart talked about, when you have those harmful behaviors and we're not holding each other accountable, see, that's why we're a profession. You know, a profession, we police ourselves. So when something's not right, we need to take care of it and we need to say, not in my squad, not in my army. Because every one of those harmful behaviors will start to erode that trust, will start to erode that readiness. And so, you know, doing everything we can with our initiative, better training, talking about biases, understanding what it means to have an inclusive environment. Also, how do we have like our holistic health and fitness, a piece of this, um, so that we can make sure that we're, you know, holistically, that we, you know, from a spiritual, a physical standpoint, you know, from our diet, from our sleep, we're all ready to go. Because at the end of the day, it's the person that's going to execute that mission on that piece of kit for, the, for our meeting. And, you know, inclusivity, if we don't have an inclusive environment, we don't have that sense of belonging, we don't have that valued team member, then you're not going to perform as part of that team. And so the team, we all know, will only be as strong as our, our weakest link in this per, um, in this process, but our weakest link could be caused because what we have is we, we have an environment that is not allowing everybody to, you know, capitalize on their strengths and we're not improving on their weaknesses. Absolutely. And I, I hate to have to start wrapping things up, but I think we have time for one more question and Dr. Stewart, this is coming to you. So, um, how do we overcome leader failures, um, that seem to go unaddressed? Um, we've kind of talked about how we can, how people can feel empowered to say, hey, I don't feel like this is an inclusive environment, but how do we um, kind of respond to the, these allegations? That's one thing to hear them, but how do leaders take that, that feedback and actually implement, um, uh, actually implement change to make sure that what they're being told is going to change? Yeah, so a couple of things. And, and um, man, I forget her, her name, but uh, it's a professor that's very well known, gives a lot of TED Talks. One of the things that she talked about is, uh, uh, you know, modeling uh, vulnerability. So if you've ever been on a team where your leader said, hey, you know what? You know, this is, this is, this is the challenge I'm working myself through. You know, and I'm asking you all these, you know, to do these things. But I also have a challenge with, with these. I'm not, I'm not perfect. So when a le leader displays vulnerability, it, it, it strengthens the connection between her and the rest of her squad. The second thing is something that we call intellectual humility. And that's understanding that even, you know, that you might have, uh, 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 you know, stars or, or, or uh, uh, eagles, you know, on your collar or whatever. You know, believe it or not, you can be wrong, right? This is this is intellectual humility, and when people that that work for you understand that you're okay with not always having the right answer, that or or the person that has all the answers, they they value and appreciate and respect that. So so I think in, in, as far as a, a, a category uh, or a bucket, that's uh, that's one thing. And so at the end of the day, I think the, the central challenge for folks wanting to get, you know, uh, uh, leaders able to change and, and not completely have to depend on the leaders is something that's just recently come out in uh, change management research. And that is, you know, to change a culture in an organization, it doesn't take, you know, all the people to, to be on the same page. All it takes is 3% of that population or 3% of those soldiers to be advocates. And then all of us, based on Dunbar's rule, who's an anthropologist that said, you know, that each individual can hold up to 150 relationships. All we're asking is that you have a positive impact on, you know, five to 15 to 50 of those folks in your social circles regarding, you know, this topic that we've been talking about this afternoon called inclusion. And then once you do that, 
all it takes is 25% of the organization to tip. In other words, it's not 51% to change a culture, it's 25% is the tipping point. And that was made uh, through some great research by uh, a, a professor by the name of Damon Centola, C-E-N-T-O-L-A. And he wrote a book called Change. And if you get a chance, check it out, because I think that provides the kind of recipe or blueprint that you can actually, these things we talked about, or have talked about this hour, you can actually uh, create a, 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 a roadmap to actually, you know, make, have, make a positive impact on the culture. Yeah. Dr. Stewart, that was incredibly insightful that it really only takes 3% of your organization to just be advocates through their behaviors and their language and the way that they treat others to help a culture change. And it only takes 25% of individuals to actually tip towards the actual positive forward movement of change. I think based on how the Army is changing how we introduce people into our Army values down at the bottom level like we've been talking about from the very beginning at BCT. If you think about it, that's probably about the BCT, AIT, that's probably about the percentage of the Army that we need to be the advocates. So I think it's very positive and very encouraging to know that we've really started honing in on, the Army values have always been important at BCT but now they're even more important and we're including these pieces of diversity, equity and inclusion training down at BCT so that these individuals can be advocates for these Army values as they continue their Army career to hopefully tip and continue to change the culture of the Army. That was just, that was incredibly insightful. So I, I mean, General Gervais, as kind of a parting question to you, do you, do you see what kind of positive outcomes do you see the Army making already to be more inclusive? And do you see any challenges? Yeah, um, so I think we're making a lot of positive um, steps that were taking place. You know, we're looking at everything from how, how do we change policy? How do we change training? Um, how do we improve our leader development um, so that we can be self-aware um, leaders and so you know and how do, how do we better prepare leaders um, at all levels so you know I think we're already seeing the change um, and I thought the statistics were phenomenal in fact I wrote them down because getting to the 25% to tip I mean that is absolutely doable um, with what we have to do I would say it another way um, as I look at things sometimes I get a little disheartened that what I would call the one or two percent can define our army when we know it is not our army and it's not what we stand for. So I think, you know, our discussion and we talked and you heard the common theme, right? It was leadership. Leadership at all levels that are engaged and understand what right looks like, holds people accountable, holds themselves accountable. It builds that trust, not just inside the army, um, you know, with, with our, all of our formations, but more importantly, outside of the army. Um, because, you know, the trust that we need to make sure that we maintain with the American people as we're going forward. So I thought, you know, this discussion on inclu inclusion, because we, we haven't talked about it enough, and we're still trying to figure out how to do it the best um, way, and we have room for improvement, but I'm seeing change already, which is pretty thrilling. Um, and Dr. Stewart, you know, um, I'd like to, before we go off air, I'd like to thank you for your 23 years of service um, in the Air Force. Um, you know, and we appreciate everything that you've done in the Air Force and you continue to do in this field to, to help us get better. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, we, we can't thank you enough. And unfortunately, we are out of time, so we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up here. But uh, Dr. Stewart, just thank you for taking the time to share your expertise on inclusion and its power with us today. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Just real quickly, I just want to build on what the general said. And, you know, when I'm talking about change, there's two types. So general and, and leaders are very good about spreading awareness of what it is that they're trying to do, but they can't change individual behavior. Behavioral change happens when there's already trust, you know, uh, developed between a person that's in your social circle. So, so that's what we need to do. We need to do both awareness, but also that behavioral change that comes from each of us within our social circles, influencing others that we already have relationships with. Yeah, I, I, again, we can't thank you enough for just in 
being part of a, this discussion today and, and sharing all of your expertise on this topic. So just thank you again. We appreciate your time. Uh, General Gervais, is there anything you'd like to share before we sign off? No, uh, um, I just gave the, the last piece and I think, um, you know, this was a very powerful uh, session and um, I'm just honored to have been part of it. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. You're welcome back anytime. Um, thank you both for your time and sharing this insightful information with us. Uh, we also want to thank everyone who tuned in. Diversity, equity, and inclusion have been at the forefront of the Army the last few years as part of the larger Army People Strategy. Each are no more important than the other when talking about creating positive and effective cultures within organizations. For the Army, inclusion is a non-negotiable when it comes to building cohesive teams that are ready and capable to face any enemy. Inclusion requires a focus on people, and that takes a commitment, starting with leaders, to understanding and placing value to each individual and their knowledge, skills, and abilities to truly build inclusive teams. The Army continues to drive change in its culture by putting people first. Inclusion is a piece of that. And in the words of Dr. Stewart, inclusion is the engine of teamwork, and the Army is the ultimate team the nation depends on. We want everyone to join us next month when we welcome Lieutenant General Gary Brito from the Army's Chief of Staff for Personnel, in, uh, for personnel on a discussion on the Army People Strategy. So mark your calendars, you're not gonna wanna miss it. Thank you again for joining us, and as always, victory starts here. <laughs>